Again, welcome to you all. My name is Fiona and I'm delighted to be able to share the word with you this evening. Um, May we begin with another reading. This reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, taken from chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read and you'll be able to watch behind me on the screen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will be a shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I might also worship. When they heard the king, when they had heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, great. Hi, everybody. I was just wondering, I would love to speak to somebody who has a nativity set at home. Is there anybody that has a nativity set at home? Mateo, you've got a nativity set at home. Why don't you come up? Because I just want to ask you a few questions about your nativity set. Tell me a little bit about your nativity set. What's it like? Um, we have a Mary, a Joseph. We've got some sheep, cattle, donkey. Right. But Maya, our younger sister, keeps taking all of them and then sometimes she'll feed them with some fake food. <laughs> she would. That's hilarious. <laughs> so how about, um, how about some shepherds? Have you got any shepherds? Yeah, we've got one shepherd. You've got one shepherd. That's great. Sounds like you've got almost a complete nativity set. Have you got some wise men? I think they're wise men. Ooh, we might get back to them in a second. Thank you so much for sharing about your nativity set. Hey, uh, let's give her a little clap. That's beautiful to hear about her nativity set. Hey, I'll tell you about my my mum. This is a story for you. My mum's got this incredible, she's got an entire Christmas village, right? Entire Christmas village. There's Bethlehem, there's the inn, there's the stable, there's Jerusalem, there's shepherds, there's a flock of sheep, there's angels, there's a star, and there, of course, is the Holy Family. It's all there. And so, you know, I just have come from a family that loves our nativity set. And um, I'm just wondering about that baby Jesus thing. I think it's probably biblically accurate. I could be wrong here. And I think there's some theology that might need sorting out. But I think it's biblically accurate if Jesus actually isn't in the manger yet. Do you think? Like if you've got one of those uh, baby Jesus that are stuck in and you can't take him out, I don't know, you might want to try for one you can take out next time. The other thing I need you to know is if you do have, if you do have wise men, they probably should be at the other end of the house or even with your next door neighbours because they're coming a very, very long way. 
They're coming like from, say, here to Cairns on a camel. That's how far, that's how far they're travelling to get to see baby Jesus and to worship him. Uh, I, I love this kind of stuff. And, and we're going to actually hear uh, quite a lot more about the wise men and their travels and their coming to see and to worship Jesus. But before we do that, may I just pray? How about we just come to a moment of prayer? Oh, loving and gracious God, what a special night it is. We thank you for this special holy night. And we just pause. We just pause to recognise that you have gathered us in here, that you have called us to worship Christ, the newborn King. And Lord, we want to respond. We want to respond to your gracious gifts to us this evening. Would you, Lord, release your presence in our midst? Would you come and be free to come, Holy Spirit, to move in our midst and to reveal to us the precious one who was born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in whose name we pray this evening. Amen. Amen. I have another story for you to begin with this evening. There was a small boy and he lived as an only child on a very isolated farm. He went to his parents with this idea that he'd really like to go into town to see the circus. And his parents agreed it would be a really good thing for him to do. So uh, they allowed him to do that and they gave him three $10 notes. They gave him one $10 note so that he could catch the bus. They gave him a second $10 note so that he'll get a haircut. And they gave him a third $10 note so that he could go and see the circus. So the boy travels into town. It's a bit of a long journey, but he sat on the, as he sat in the barbershop waiting to have his hair cut, there was this incredibly loud commotion taking place out in the street. And it was like everybody in the shops kind of, kind of raced out and onto the footpath to see what on, earth this, what on earth this commotion was. And would you believe it? It was actually the circus coming into town. It was trailers and trucks and caravans all arriving with the circus. And everybody, including the barber, ran out to actually see what was going on, to see this colourful array of animals and people. There were elephants and monkeys on trailers. There were tigers and lions in cages and there were dazzling costumes and jugglers and the whole thing. And the boy was just enjoying every moment of it. But all too soon, uh, that, that circus parade sort of turned around the corner and it was out of sight. It was the clown that came last. It was the clown that uh, was the last person to come, you know, with all these kind of antics. And as the clown passed by, the little boy kind of just, just nervously approached him and went and said, who do I pay? And the clown said, well, you pay me. And so with that, the boy gave the clown his $10. The clown took it and the clown hurried on and the boy went back into the barbershop to finish getting his hair cut. He got on the bus and he went home. It wasn't until years later that the boy realised that he'd kind of been taken in by the clown. He'd been tricked, I guess. He'd been tricked into thinking that he had actually seen and experienced the circus. I think you know that the same can be true for us. We can know all about Christmas. We can know all the Bible stories about the shepherds and the angels and the manger and the magi, but we can actually miss Jesus. We can actually miss the most important thing. And missing the most important thing is a little bit like the brownie that Georgia Blair, my daughter, made last night. We have a very strong tradition in our family of exceptional brownie making. And admittedly, I've been a bit busy this year. It hasn't actually happened. But I have an incredible recipe. I've memorised every part of it. I understand all the 
tips and all the tricks about how you make this incredible no matter what kind of oven you have. I can double the portions, the, the quantities for you. I completely understand the science of mixing eggs and sugar and getting them to cream properly. Anyway, you don't need to know that, but I actually really know about brownie. So Georgia makes my brownie according to the recipe, according to all the ingredients, and the smell that filled the house was absolutely incredible yesterday afternoon. And it comes out of the oven and it's all kind of like beautifully glassy, but with some little cracks that tell you it's cooked properly, sort of gungy in the middle, but crispy on the outside. And we cut it up and we get it ready to take to our Christmas events that are happening tomorrow. She says, mum, you've got to taste my brownie. I said, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I know that brownie. <laughs> I know that brownie. She said, actually, no, mum, you don't know that brownie because I've made this brownie. You need to taste my brownie. And I thought, actually, you know what? She's absolutely right. She's absolutely right because there is the point here that you can know about something and it's different from experiencing it or encountering it or in this case, tasting it. We can indeed know what the Bible tells us about Christmas and actually miss Jesus. Friends, there's so many really special and wonderful things though that I wanna say about Christmas. Like school holidays for a start, it's just such a fun time of year for kids and there's all those breakup parties. There's lots of people to catch up with. There's beautiful things like decorations and lights, writing and sending cards getting busy and making the place look lovely and buying presents and wrapping them and cooking food and shopping and all those things and more shopping. But you know what? When it's all said and done, what is next? What's next? Maybe we just let our hearts pause and ponder that question for a moment. Because I believe that the answer is actually Jesus. And why do I believe it's Jesus? Because of this, He loves you. He loves you, He knows you, and yet He still loves you completely. He loves you regardless of your circumstances. He loves you permanently, eternally, and unconditionally. He comes to you in your joys and in your pain and in your despair and your distress. He never abandons you. He will never, ever abandon you. He comes to rescue and to redeem. He is for you. His grace is sufficient for you. And when we have finished all the Christmas shopping, when we've been to the parties, when we've sent out the cards, Jesus is the connection with God that you and I long for. Jesus is the connection with God that you and I long for. And friends, this is the good news because it's summarised in the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God's love has indeed triumphed over all Jesus embodied the living, saving God who is personally present with us, with us, with His people. At Christmas, God sent Jesus so that you might be drawn into that love story, into that reality of God's love, so that you can know what God's like. Christmas is God saying, I want to relate to you. I want you to know me the way that I know you. And friends, that really, really excites me. We read in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. Um, if you're a bit new to navigating away through the Bible, it's the first book. And we just read in the first, in the second chapter, it says this. It says this about those wise men I talked about at the start, the people that are looking for and longing to find Jesus who's been born, who will come and save His people from our sin. It says this, where is this newborn? Who is the King of the Jews? When we were far away in the East, we saw His star. And we have followed its glistening and its gleaning and we are here to worship. And then it goes on in verse 10. When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother 
and they fell down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Maybe you're wondering who are these wise men that we've been talking about this evening? Who are they? Well, actually, we don't know that much about them. (laughs) We don't know that much. They're in more contemporary uh, translations of Scripture. They're referred to as magi, and magi is derived from the word magic. So we understand that they are magicians of sorts. They're astrologers. Um, they are interpreters of dreams. We understand that they're a clan of some sort, and they are, have this really prestigious role of advising their other kings. We know that they're very foreign and indeed pagan, and that we understand that they're from the east, which, was prob- which is probably what we will know as modern-day Iraq. And indeed, being kind of so foreign and so far away, we can assume that they had no real Jewish background at all, and that leads us to think that they have really no real place coming to the stable, coming to Bethlehem, uh, to be involved in the birth of Jesus. You know... We can assume that they're not interested in the lineage of Abraham. They're not interested in what's going on with the Roman occupation. It's just hard to find why the reason would be that they would be so interested in this child. But yet, friends, they show up. They show up. They show up to visit him, to see him and to worship him. And I think they show up because it was actually God's doing I think God was incredibly intentional in the way that he put the stars in alignment, that as they travelled west, they would encounter the baby boy born to a young mother and born to a poor father carpenter. I think it was God used their background and God used their practices. He used their study of the stars to indicate to them that a king is to be born. Indeed, their interest intersects and draws them into God's story and plan. That there's no real reason other than the sovereignty and the providential love of God and the invitation of God Himself that these three wise men find themselves drawn in to be part of this significant and and, and magnificent moment in history. There is here an unfolding of God's great plan to bring all people back to Him. Friends, in fact, going back to that that first book of the Bible that I mentioned, this book of the Bible, Matthew, it begins in this way, with these people from far off coming to worship. You know how it ends? It kind of ends in the same way. But it ends with the disciples after Jesus' death and His resurrection. It ends with them coming and bowing down to worship the resurrected and ascending Jesus Christ only for Jesus to say these words to them, all authority has been given to me, that you might go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them and teaching them to believe in all that I've taught. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. It's an incredible story that's unfolding here before us. Friends, this is good news. This is good news for everyone. And I can in some ways see myself in the Magi, you know, I, I didn't come to faith. I, didn't, I, I was drawn in to what, to what God has for life and for love and for the fullness of that when I was like in my 20s. I can say that I've been drawn into the story of God's plan through really no merit of my own. Ephesians 2.13 says, Once you were far from God, but now you've been brought near through the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and through His death on the cross. 
you have been, you and I have been brought into the story of Jesus' kingdom and His reign through nothing that we really contributed or any ability that I can say, I'm pretty special in this way and this is why I'm here. We too, we too have been pulled into the story because God through Jesus has orchestrated it and initiated it. It is His loving pull for us into His redemptive work, not just for us personally, but for the entire world. And He's doing it right now. He's doing it in this room right now. God is bringing about His rescue plan, His perfect plans and purposes for your life and for your life beyond this life into eternity. And you know what this reminds me of? The way that, that, the, that the wise men and even my own story was drawn in for so, from so far away to encounter Jesus. Do you know what it reminds me of? Brace yourself. It's unexpected, okay? It reminds me of jigsaw puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles. It reminds me of jigsaw puzzles. My grandfather loved jigsaw puzzles. And when I was a little kid, I'd often have sleepovers at their place. And the times I spent with Nana and Pa were just so precious. And I'd tumble out of bed of a morning and I'd find Pa sitting in the back veranda. Can't even remember where that is, but that's where he always sat. He sat in the back veranda and he had like this thousand plus box of tangled pieces of puzzles. Tangled pieces of puzzle. And I would stand beside him and just watch in amazement as he'd make images of beautiful mountainous scenery and magnificent gardens out of this mess of tiny little pieces of coloured cardboard. I was so excited to help, but I could barely even construct a corner. It felt impossible and I'd get very frustrated. But my grandfather, he knew that master image on the box and patiently piece by piece. He would put his hand to a piece and he could see where it needed to go and he was clear in how he needed to put it. Piece by piece, your loving Heavenly Father is bringing together and orchestrating a beautiful picture out of the pieces of your life, broken or messy as they might be. That is what is happening. He's pulling you into his redemptive work in this world. For me, when it feels like my life is a scattered mess of puzzle pieces. I've come to see that Jesus is wanting to bring clarity, to confirm truth, to give me vision and give me back that purpose to my life. And I just need only to do one thing usually, and that is just to let go of those pieces, let go of those things and give it to Him and kind of stand back and watch. Let Him put it back together again because that's what He so delights to do. God so delights to do that for us. He's so generous in all that He is and all that He does. He's not withholding anything from you. He's not withholding His love or His grace or anything else. He's not stingy. God has given so much to us. Romans 8, 32 says that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give to us all things? Give to us all things. And so these wise men from afar, they've come seeking this connection, this true connection, this relationship with the King of all kings. They have come to give their worth to the King and to acknowledge that a King has been born and that King is worthy of worship. Worship, worship, what does that word mean? Worth-ship, that's what it means. God is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our time and our resources and giving our worth 
to, of our worth to Him is what it is to worship. The Magi or the wise men, they came to worship. They came to worship King Jesus. They came to say, King Jesus, we come to worship you because you're worthy. You, have great, you are of great value. In fact, you are of the highest value. And this was in really stark contrast to Herod. Let me read to you what Herod is saying. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. He was troubled. He was angry, disgruntled, upset. So the wise men had come and they had come rejoicing with exceedingly great joy at the news and the discovery of this baby. Whereas Herod, he, he's just, he's troubled. Why is he troubled? He's troubled because I think this newborn king is going to mean that he can no longer be the guy who is the, you know, the, you know, the, the piece of worship. He's not the, the centre of it all in this day. Jesus was a threat. Baby Jesus was a threat to his self-focused and self-indulgent life. I think that indeed Herod was probably jealous because King Jesus meant that he was going to lose his status and his power. And when he hears that a new king, when he hears this news of a new king, he's deeply troubled because his hands are so tightly grasped around what he wants to hold on to, his wealth and his status and his self-determination. But we also read that it's not just Herod. It's not just Herod who is kind of troubled by this. We also read that there are some scribes and some Pharisees. They're kind of like the, the religious people. And you know what? They knew where Jesus was. They knew. Of course they knew. Like They're the ones that like memorise what the prophets say. They really knew. They knew where the prophet said that Jesus would be born. They knew it off by heart. It was their job to know. But you know what? They didn't bother going. What happened to those guys? Like, I'm just wondering, like, why didn't they show up? Where was their commitment? Because I think that like Herod, they had absolutely no interest in bringing their worship to Jesus. Herod says to the wise men that he wants to worship, but we actually know that that's a lie, that Jesus wants, that he wants, Herod wants Jesus out of the picture. Yet the wise men, they're hoofing it to Bethlehem as fast as they can to go and empty themselves in worship to the king. They just can't wait to be there. I'm wondering if the band would like to come up. Because as we're coming to the end of this message, I really marvel. I really marvel at the faith of the Magi. I marvel at how God grants them an amazing measure of faith an amazing measure of faith to make that journey, to like, you know, to, to trust and to see and to wonder as to how that star is going to lead them and where it's going to lead them to and what they're going to find when they get there. God gives these people from far away an incredible measure of faith, an amazing measure of faith. And you know what? I think that that is in so many ways the way that we also come to Jesus. It's the same way that we come to Jesus. Scripture tells us that it is for by grace that we, you and I, have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast.